You know, with the world's events going on and everything right now, you know it's getting close, and uh, we better get ready because it's going to be soon. It's our hope and prayer that if you're here and you don't know that you're going to heaven, uh, we hope before you leave here this morning that you will believe in that gospel that the choir was singing about. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, of course. Uh, the thing that I'm preaching on this morning, and by the way, let me just say to you women, it's a great opportunity to sign up for that class because it tells you how, what to do about firearms and things like that. And anymore, you need to know that. There needs to be more women carrying. And uh, I just think that's very, very important. And uh, Carol has a machine gun, but I <laughs> just don't want to get on her bad side. Uh, but uh, anyway, it's great information. Uh, I've been through a couple of classes of uh, different people, and it just makes you familiar with it. And I think that's very important, and it makes you more comfortable. And so let me encourage you to sign up for that. Title of my message this morning is Why We Can Believe God's Truth is the Truth. <laughs> God's Word is, isn't it? Today, 80% of Americans describe themselves as spiritual. Uh, most Americans, but it's dropping quickly and rapidly, believe God created the universe. 66% say they pray every day. 80% of our population claim they're Christians. Isn't that amazing? Yet for many, underneath that statement, it's not true Christianity. As a matter of fact, only 33% of these people who claim they're Christians attend church to worship or ever to learn what the Bible says. Most believe there's more ways to salvation than one way. Most of them. 84% can explain basic Christian beliefs. Now think that through. 90% after college never return to faith or church. And after you've seen all the protests and everything and you see them this past couple years, uh, you wonder why you would even send your kid to college because of what they're teaching them. 70% of Christian college freshmen say there are no moral absolutes. So what they do, they pick like a smorgasbord of ideas, and they choose what they want to be true. And the professors are pretty, you know, they know what they're doing, and they use human rationale. And that begins to confuse the kids, and they begin to doubt certain things. But the Word of God says this about human rationale. says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing word of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, hello, but in the power of God. Now we, have now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. 
but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto them, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now that's what God says about human professors who try to coerce our young people to create doubt in their minds and in their hearts. Today our society doesn't embrace such things as absolute truth, except what they say, right? Many professors say they're sure there's no God and there's nothing such as ultimate absolute truth. As a matter of fact, I remember years ago, I heard IU's president, the one who fired Bobby Knight, by the way, and uh, I heard him say on TV there is no such thing as absolute truth. I heard that with my own ears. It was amazing. And so if they're so certain about their refusal to acknowledge God or any moral absolute, I have two questions. If truth is unknowable, as they say, then why would one believe the position that they're holding? If there's no absolute truth, as they assert, doesn't that statement itself contradict what they say is right. Why would we even believe them then? But the truth is God exists. And his absolute word and truth does exist. Genesis 1.1 says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And as a statement, he says in Psalm 14 verse 1, The fool hath said in his heart, they are, what, there is no God, they are corrupt. <laughs> so that's what he thinks about people who do not believe in him. Proverbs 26, 4, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. Uh, Hebrews 1, 8, But unto the Son, Christ, he, the Father, saith, Thy throne, his Son, O God, is forever and forever. And since Christ is God who lived on this earth, God exists. Amen? Ray Comfort, a lot of you might know him. He's a great evangelist in different ways. And he goes on college campuses. And he'll say this to him. He says, do you believe in God? And most of the college students say, no. Then he says this, do you believe in science? And most of them say, yes. And then he says, did you know that the Bible's God is the God of absolute science? Huh? I think that's great. And then he'll give them a list of things. For instance, the Bible says the earth floats in space. Huh? Job 26, 7. He stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon. You know, that was not learned until 1650. As a matter of fact, in the past, they thought that the earth sat on a large animal. That's true. I remember in the 50s, yes, people live <laughs> that are still here in the 50s. And... But I remember they had an elephant, and the world was up on its back. 
Yeah. Another thing the Bible says, wash your hands or whatever with running water. Leviticus 15, 13. And when he that hath an issue is cleansed of his issue, then he shall number to himself seven days for his cleansing and wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in running water and shall be clean. This was not learned to do until 1845. A fellow by the name of Dr. Angus Samuel Weiss of Vienna, he was horrified at the death rate of women who were giving birth to children and then dying after birth. 30% of women were dying after they had given birth. The doctors would not, what they would do, they would not wash their hands like they should, and they would go and examine the next mother, and then the next mother, and they would not wash their hands, or they would in a bowl of still water, they would do that, and uh, there were invisible germs in that still water there, and the presence of microscopic diseases were unknown. So Dr. Samuelweiss, he insisted they wash their hands with running water before they ever examine a mother, and immediately the death rate dropped from 30% to 2%. And that was found out in 1845, but the Bible was way ahead of it. The third thing is there's information in the blood. Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar and so on and so on. The life of the flesh is in the blood. We've learned that the information that the blood gives it helps identify man's flesh's problems like their liver, kidneys, thyroid, their heart. They know if something's going on when you give a blood sample to them. Blood can reveal certain diseases like cancer, diabetes, AIDS, coronary heart diseases. Just 120 years ago, they used to bleed people huh, to try to get them to get rid of the disease. As a matter of fact, George Washington, they took 40% of his blood out of his body during a 12-hour period. They say when you lose 20% of your blood, you can go into shock and it doesn't circulate properly. If you take 40%, that's when your organs begin to shut down. And that's what happened to him. Today, a blood transfusion can save one's life, regardless if it's a soldier who's been injured, shot, or if it's, you're in an accident, whatever it might be. They give you a blood transfusion, and that gives you healing power and life. It's not to be removed, it is to be replenished. Leviticus 17, 11 is a thousand plus years 
Before Christ, God wrote that. The fourth thing is the circle of the earth. Isaiah 40, verse 22. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. That's pretty clear right there, isn't it? For most people, they've thought the earth has been flat. Even some NBA players today believe that. That's why they're in the NBA. <laughs> but since we have rocket ships and astronauts and satellites and uh, SpaceX <laughs> pictures, we know that the earth is round. Some people believe Christopher Columbus was the first person to discover that by sailing around the earth. And, of course, that's not true. A uh, fellow uh, who was a Greek, Pythagoras, in the 6th century, declared the world was round. And he based that upon the moon's eclipses. You see, the moon's eclipses, it's the shadow of the earth on it. And the shadow of the earth upon the moon is circular. That's amazing. And by the way, if you study the other planets, do you know what shape they're in? They're all round. That's interesting, isn't it? So why would earth be different, huh? But the Bible mentions that. And then five, fifth, the Bible and oceanography. Now, we don't know a whole lot about that, but it states in Psalm 8, 8, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea and whatsoever passeth through, now get this, the paths of the seas. A fellow by the name of Matthew Maury is considered the father of oceanography. And he discovered the continental currents of the oceans. And he wrote a book with maps that shows the routes or the routes to take for shipping, whether you were going east or going west. And he was so important at that time, they, they, struck, they, they did a statue of him. And he had a Bible in his hand. I thank God for that. He wasn't ashamed of that. And then there's light waves and radio waves. Now, I don't understand all that. I understand, but Job 38, 25, canst thou send lightnings? that they may go and say, speak unto thee. Here we are. In other words, light speaks. Light can be sent and reveal itself in speech. Did you know that electromagnetic radiation, x-rays, radio waves, they travel at the speed of light, these waves. That's why we can have a wireless communication just about any time we want with somebody on the other side of the earth. The other day I, I talked to Dean Padaya, our missionary in South Africa. He's on the other side of the world, in a sense. And it's amazing that we just talked instantly just like that. Light speech wasn't discovered until 1864. 
British scientist James Clark Maxwell discovered that electricity and light waves are of the same form and makeup. I might not understand it all. I don't understand electricity, but I use it. Amen? That's just truth. Number seven, the first law of thermodynamics, Genesis 2.1. Thus the heavens and the earth were, what? Finished, and all the host of them. That word finished there, is very, that's the first law of thermodynamics. Everything that is to be made has been made. Everything is finished. The sun, the blue skies, the trees, oxygen to breathe, the oceans, lands, finished. Man, animal, the birds, finished. When he created Adam and Eve, finished. They're a man and a woman. They didn't they didn't grow in it. That's what they were. Nothing is evolving. Everything is finished. Amen? That's first law of thermodynamics. And then ship dimensions, number eight. Genesis 6.15. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it. And make it of, the length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. God gave Noah exact dimensions of the ark, and I believe I'm correct on it, it's 1.5 million square feet. That's big. There was a scientific study in 1993. It was done by the world-class South Korean Ship Center. They compared 12 kinds of different ship hulls. The hulls, if I can say that right, H-U-L-L-S. And they discovered that no modern design outperformed the biblical model in loading and carrying cargo. Isn't that amazing? And God said that in Genesis 6. Then number nine, the Bible and quarantine. Leviticus 13, 46. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone. Without the camp shall his habitation be. Out the camp, out from the citizens. The Bible said this long before the medical field ever did. Scientists discovered the importance of separating those with infectious diseases. In 1490 B.C., the Bible gives instruction on this to prevent it from spreading. It wasn't until the 17th century that the law of quarantine happened. I think prior to that, the Black Death, 17 million people perished, all because they failed to separate the sick from the healthy. If they just read their Bible, huh? God had already said what we were to do. They used to do that with scarlet fever. Carol's father had scarlet fever when he was growing up. 
And they had to separate him from the school and so on. And the tenth and last thing is this here. The Bible and dinosaurs. <laughs> the Bible and dinosaurs. Job 40, verse 15. Behold now what behemoth which I made with thee. He eateth grass, he's vegetarian, as an ox. Verse 17. He moveth his tail like a big cedar, big tail. The sinews, muscles of his stones are wrapped together. Who can open the doors of his face? His teeth are terrible roundabout. Out of his mouth goeth, what? Burning lamps and sparks of fire leap out. Out of his nostrils goeth smoke as out of a seething pot or cauldron. His breath kindleth coals, and a flame goeth out of his mouth. Now, I don't know about you, that sounds like a big dinosaur dragon. <laughs> Amen. You should always remember the word dinosaur. Do you know when that word was invented and came about? In the 1800s, God had already written about this creature prior to that thousands of years about this thing called the dinosaur. Then somebody said, well, what happened to the dinosaurs? Why are they extinct today? Well, one, because of the flood. The flood killed the majority of them. There was a few after that. But then after the flood, the vegetation was not to the extent that it was prior to the flood. The whole world was vegetation back then, before the flood. And then after the flood, people and animals became carnivorous. Prior to the flood, everybody was a vegetarian or a vegan. But after the flood, we begin to eat meat, thank God. And then because of man, civilization. Uh, Dr. Ham, I always remember him showing pictures of the early nights and everything. And they had dragons on their shields and how they slew them. And they were honored and rewarded as heroes and so on. And so because, that's why they, it's not because a meteor hit this world. Amen. So the Bible is absolute science when speaking. You can believe there's God and you can believe his word. John 17, 17 says this, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And the reason it is truth, 2 Timothy, all scripture, all of our Bible, is given by the very breath of God, inspiration, and is profitable and so on. The reason this book is absolute, because it is a God-breathed book. And you can look at it, and you can believe in what he says to us. One of the simple things is, is for people uh, of absolutes, when they are saved. There are three absolutes for one to be saved. The first absolute is this here. Number one, you have to know you're lost before you can be saved. 
You need to know your loss before you, or why the need. <laughs> if you don't know why you're lost, why do you think you need to be saved then? But when you realize you're a rotten sinner, then that's a different story. Amen? And the Bible says this, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's not one person in this world righteous enough to be able to stand before God and go to heaven on his own. There is not one that seeketh after God. Man doesn't seek God. But because of God's mercy, he intervenes in people's lives and shows them the light of the gospel that they might be saved. For all have sinned. How many? All. And we come short of the glory of God. We don't measure up to God's standard to be allowed to go into heaven. God says it has to be perfection. Now, none of us will be perfect, so that means none of us can go to heaven. However, when you get saved, Christ gives us his perfectness that allows us to be perfect when we stand before God and allowed to go to heaven. Amen? Amen. And uh, the Bible says because of Adam and Eve's sin, it passed on to their kids, to their DNA, to your parents' DNA, to you. We just do what comes naturally. We naturally sin, don't we? We're just sinners, and I was probably one of the better sinners that God ever saw. We're all sinners. And uh, in our hearts, we know that is true. I don't care what man's. He knows he's a sinner. You know, you see a baby or a young child. They're not angels. Uh, you have to begin to discipline them to do what's right. And they're just revealing what they are. They're little rotten sinners. <laughs> Amen? That's what they are. And we have to begin to discipline them to do something what's right. And so the first absolute is you have to know you're lost before you can be saved. Do you know that you're lost this morning if you're not saved? Secondly, the second absolute is you need to know that Christ's finished work is your only way to salvation. There's no other way. There's none other, none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, and it's the name of Jesus Christ. And God's only Son came to this earth for a purpose. On an old rugged cross there, he took your sin, your punishment, your penalty for being a sinner. He absorbed that himself on the cross, and he died and shed his blood. They buried him. He took our sins far away, and he rose from the grave victoriously. He conquered death, the devil, and everything. And even the law that was against us. And he's alive. He's, see, he's seated on the right hand of the Father today. Now, what he accomplished doesn't save you until you apply it to your own life. You know, it's just like uh, David and Israel. Uh, David stood up and they said, winner take all. David, Goliath. 
the Philistines, not Palestines, the Philistines, <laughs> the Philistines and David, winner take all. And David slew Goliath. And he represent, he stood in for Israel. Likewise, one day, Jesus Christ on an old rugged hill, he represented mankind. The first Adam lost it. He's the second Adam. And on that cross, he stood in for us. And he won the victory for us. Amen? Thank God for that. So, yeah. Number one, you have to know you're lost before you can be saved. Number two, you need to know that Christ's finished work is the only way for your salvation. And number three, the absolute, you need to embrace this truth by faith alone. That's it. The way you apply what Christ accomplished is you believe it was for you, for your sin. I believe his sacrifice is sufficient, is enough, completed the way of salvation. I believe he's the son of God who died for me, was buried and rose again. That's enough, nothing else, that's enough to save me. I believe that in my heart. And when you believe that, that's when you're saved. You see, the problem is some people, they hear, most people, they hear about this wonderful gospel and then they try to add something to it. And most of them try to do something religious. They say, well, I'll try to stop sinning in this area. I'll go to church more. I'll give the church a little tip. You know, I'll be baptized. I'll do this. I'll do that. God said, "That's you can't get saved then has nothing to do with that. It's my faith alone in the gospel alone, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's the gospel of grace. And the God who exists says in his absolute word, if you will believe this gospel and that alone, he will immediately save you when you believe. He says in Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption, the deliverance from sin, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It's through his work. And then in verse 13, he says this, in whom Christ, ye also trusted. That's when you believe. After that you heard, you heard the truth today, the word of truth, the gospel. You heard the gospel of your salvation. And whom also, it's when, after that you believe, when you believe that, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. God the Spirit comes and our bodies become the temple of the Lord. The reason then we can change. You see, prior to that, I didn't have God in me. As a result, I tried to settle my own problems, my own way, by my own flesh, by my old nature. And I was always a failure. 
it's when Christ comes into your life that he's there encouraging you to do what's right, to put off the old and put on the new. And by his working in your life, you begin to change. Now, you don't overnight become a holy Joe, but you begin to progress, make progress. And it's over tests and trials and application and experience that you begin down the road and you look back and you say, my goodness, what a change Christ has made in my life. But during that time, it's wonderful to know that we are saved, we are safe, we are secure. If anything happens to us, we know where we're going. These things have I written unto you that believe upon the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want us to wonder about it, guess about it, maybe, perhaps. No. I know I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. That's not arrogance. That's confidence. Confidence in what my God promised me. Amen? And that's what he wants for you. And I, I close with this. I... I can't help, you watch the news, I know you probably shouldn't watch it because you're ready to commit suicide after you watch it. But I see everything happening right now. And you see Israel, you see the anti-Semitism. You see the marching in our streets that we never thought could ever happen. And you know, it's just a matter of time. Uh, Carol heard something the other night said most, uh, the worst enemy that we have is not the Palestinians that are marching in our streets and everything, but it's Trump supporters. I'm not politically speaking. That's just what they said, Trump supporters and Christians. And as they are raising and showing banners, kill the Jews, kill the Jews, I've seen them. It won't be long. They'll say, kill the Christians, kill the Christians. And I can see it with my spiritual eyes, I believe it with all my heart, that there is such a great apostasy that's going on today. We're turning our backs on God and absolute truth. As a result of that, that tells me something. Jesus Christ is coming soon. That's telling me that. Amen. You know us preachers, we always preach the second coming, at least we do. And uh, I never ever thought there's a possibility, a hope, a possibility of going up in the air. But I believe with all my heart, this is a generation <laughs> that we're going up. And it's not long. And with that then is the sad part of the apostasy. The door is closing on this dispensation. The door is closing to the free call of grace who says Christ has done everything. Believe and be saved so you can go to heaven with us. That's why we preach this message to give you that opportunity.
And if you search your mind and your hearts, let's just bow our heads right now. You search your mind and your heart right there even where you're seated right now. It's not about saying a prayer. It's not about coming forward and shaking somebody's hand. It's not about joining the church. It's about believing the gospel. And right there in your heart, why don't you just tell God this morning, acknowledge that you are a sinner. That shouldn't be too hard for anybody. But also acknowledge in faith you believe Jesus Christ is the Father's Son and he died on the cross for your sins and shed his blood and three days later he rose from the grave. And you believe that's enough to save you. Just tell him right now, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. But God, today, I'm telling you, I believe the gospel is enough to save me. Christ did that for me and my sins. God, save me. Because I believe. If somewhere in your mind and your heart you do that this morning, he'll save you immediately. Just do it right now. Just tell him this moment. Never a moment like this moment right now for you. And if you believed in Christ and that gospel this morning, you would say, as a word of testimony, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I believed. Just raise your hand right now. Just while heads are bowed, just raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you back there. Somebody over here to the left. Father, thank you for allowing salvation to be given to us today. What a great message. <laughs> what a privilege to be in your family now. May these people grow. I don't know what to say except, God, I love you. May we serve you because we believe you're coming soon. Jesus name. Everybody said. We hope you received a blessing from today's service. We would love to have you visit with us in person. For more information, please visit our website at gpindy.net or contact us by phone at 317-535-3512. For more options to watch, just click On Demand on the website. Until next broadcast, may God bless you is our prayer.